All right. Well, this will be a lot of fun, and this has been an awesome day, uh, and it's really just the beginning of an awesome week. So um, very thrilled and excited to be joined by Mike Panetta, Product Development Manager of Diamond Pistons, Trend Performance, and Dart, and Steve Rohde, General Manager of Trend Performance, to talk about Pistons. Gentlemen, how are you all this afternoon? Great. Doing well. Good. Well, good. Happy to hear that. And thank you very much for coming along and doing this today, because I'm sure a lot of people are going to be very interested in what we're talking about here today and uh, what your product offerings are. I do want to encourage everyone that if you have a question, just type it down into the chat and we'll make sure we get as many of them as we can. And, uh, and really, this is your chance. This is your trade show. So please uh, ask away and we would love to talk about it all. But um, let's just sort of catch up, uh, you know, Mike and Steve, just kind of give us an overview. What's happening at Diamond right now? We are beyond busy, you know, with uh, respect of what's been going on over the last couple of years. Um, we have been adding part numbers. We've been working tirelessly to improve uh, manufacturing and adding capacity uh, here and there. Um, we're now well over 2,000 SKUs of stocking and non-stocking pistons. Um, you know, we've uh, been adding some, some media here and some custom forms and some different avenues to let the customer kind of dial in what they're looking for. And, uh, you know, just trying to deliver, uh, working real hard on cutting lead times down and just becoming as available as possible to help everybody out and, uh, and gain more of that market share. That's great. Yeah, it's interesting. I was um, looking around at the website earlier and uh, you talk about custom pistons and the order form and just all of the detail that goes into what you're available or, or what you guys are able to uh, afford to a customer as far as just giving them exactly what they want and what they're looking for. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of engine specs and, and measurements and details that go into uh, you know building the right piston for for the application, um, and that's where that order form becomes really critical. Uh, getting all the uh, the proper measurements, that way everything kind of stacks up, to, you know, tolerance wise and, and spec wise together, so it's all a working system once they, they get the final parts in their hands. Yeah, I think that's a great thing. Well, um, from what I'm hearing, you guys uh, have made a pretty good investment in some new CNC machine tools. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so, uh, you know, with, uh, with the, the onslaught of uh, demand, as we've seen, uh, you know, over the past year or so, uh, with everything with COVID and, and delays in supply chains and stuff like that, uh, we've uh, put some investment into into our manufacturing and uh, put three new uh, seven axis machines on the floor to keep up with the demand and, and you know, hold our, hold our lead times as best as we can. Well, wow, that's a great thing and a great service to the customer. Hey, I'm curious. So you, you said, uh, you know, you talk about all the different SKUs and adding new part numbers. Um, when you're making products and when you're, you know, designing and developing pistons and, you know, I don't know how often maybe something just gets tweaked a little bit like what what constitutes a new part number does that make sense like how how big of a change from what you had to what you're going to would make for a new part number yeah so um you know we kind of use trends as a uh as a scale of what we we think we need to add to our, our stocking line um so if we see the same same trends in in ordering from on the custom side, you know, anywhere from the same dome volume or same bore size and compression height, uh, 
over and over again, you know, that kind of red flags us to, hey, hey, let's look at this and let's dive into it to see if we can uh, we can offer a off the shelf part for the customer. It'll save them time. It saves us time internally because it cuts all the engineering uh, well, steps revamp. out. Yeah, revamp. Revamp. A lot of to part numbers and just uh, bring them up with the times. Right. As anything, you know, each year, uh, combinations change, uh, popularity of uh, combinations change. So Absolutely. we kind of just keep keep the flow of, uh, you know, staying with with what's what's modern and what's uh, upcoming. Yeah, I've never thought about it from y'all's end. Uh, you talk about trends and when people, you know, I mean, we know how racing is. I mean, if someone finds something that works then everybody wants what they found once they find out what it is, but it, is there like an example? I mean, give us a, a, an idea of what you might see that all of a sudden, maybe this form of racing or this type of engine or whatever is all of a sudden going in a direction that, like you said, would constitute, okay, we need a part number. We need to start manufacturing for this. Yeah. So, I mean, like prime example, NHRA ProMod, right? Um, you know, based on the rules and in combinations and stuff like that uh you know hemi pro charger has been really popular the past couple of years uh so a lot of guys switch from a root style or nitrous engine to uh uh either you know hemi pro charger or roots uh so depending on the combination compression ratios dome volume that all changes um but it's pretty similar across all the you know combinations of that power plant so uh that's kind of kind of where you know, it's a good example for how uh, noticing a trend, and right? Tailoring the business towards that. You know, especially I, as these. I uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, 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 no! Finish up. Yeah, especially you know as rules get built out, and you know the uh, organizations try to you know bring the combinations closer together. Uh, it opens up you know a larger larger market share for us because more of those combinations are running every weekend. Mm -hmm. Uh, what, what about uh, custom pistons and just how all of that's generated concept to reality? You know, if I want something custom, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the order form and all of that. Can you give us an idea of what the process is? Yeah. So uh, the order form would be the official step, you know, the first step. Basically, we would have uh, the customer or the engine builder fill out as much detail as they can. And then we can start to lay out the parts in engineering um, based off of their, their requirements and, and requests. Um, and then as things pop up as, yeah, yeah, sorry, as things pop up, uh, on the, as we build it out, we could say, Hey, uh, you requested this, but this is quite not, you're, you're not going to be able to get this compression ratio because you can't put that much dome in, uh, in the combustion chamber size that you have, or this compression height is too short and it won't allow you to build out your land stack up enough for the application if it's a power adder or naturally aspirated. Um, and then we can bounce back and forth with the customer and kind of fine tune in uh, to the perfect design, perfect uh, print before we even start cutting anything. How long does that typically take? Um, initial orders, just about a week or so uh, <laughs> prior to once the order is placed and to once it gets into engineering, it's about seven to 10 day lead time. And then once, uh, once it's through engineering, we're about two weeks in, in manufacturing currently. Oh, that's not bad. How much <laughs> having all the new CNC equipment? I mean, does that kind of help really speed things up a lot? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, especially on the, we have two different two different lines that we run production style. Uh, one uh, more for larger runs, um, and those CNCs actually the part starts 
as a raw casting, raw forging, and then comes out as a finished part, uh, all in one operation, um, where the other line is more traditional uh, drop line. Single step process. Yeah, so it'll go through each step on uh, different CNC machines uh, to get through all the features of the part. Wow, that, that's actually pretty fascinating um, in the way all of that works. You know, when someone's ordering custom pistons, I'm, I'm sure if you have an off-the-shelf product especially something in stock um you know that's probably a much better thing at what point do you start to find that out i mean can you look at some of the specs on an order form and go wait a second we have this already what what goes on with that yeah the, the very common combinations with uh you know block deck height and rod length um stroke and whatnot you know that's those are going to be your your shelf uh stock um, but, you know, another thing that sets Diamond apart from a lot of other manufacturers is our ability to, you know, be really quick on our feet and do job changes to already engineered parts. So, like, I can call in uh, and reference a stocking catalog item uh, or non-stock catalog item and say, hey, you know, I really, you know, I'd like to run this part, but I, you know, I need the bore change uh, by 15th valve. Well, guess what? You know, we can do that. It's very, very quick job change run through the Maltus side of things. So your lead time is not impacted uh, in a negative way. And it's essentially a custom piston that required uh, a 10th of the engineering that a full custom required. And that also cuts the cost down. Um, it's just a small surcharge over what the, uh, the shelf part would be uh, compared to, you know, X amount of points over on a custom. Oh, wow. That, that's actually a really good thing to be able to have and to be able to offer. Um, you know, speaking of just what you guys have uh, off the shelf, I know at least in looking with the website, uh, there's a handful of new featured products. Can you tell us about some of those? Yeah. So uh, this year we've expanded our sport compact line uh, and our modern muscle. Um, we added a product line for the 7.3 Godzilla. Um, that's starting to become uh, a popular request uh, from our customers. So we jumped, a, jumped ahead and, you know, made a, made a shelf line for that prior to uh, having to work through the custom realms on it. Um, Sport Compact, we added uh, some to our BMW offerings, our Ecotech offerings, and our EcoBoost offerings. That's pretty, and, and had, had, you know, as far as like starting to really see a response on something like that. And when you start to talk about the customer base there as well, um, is this, how much of this is, hey, these are our customers, these are what they're asking. How much of it also is, look, we see a demand here, we're going to make a product, but we've got to get into that market. Yeah, I mean, it's a mix, you know, especially like the Sport Compact. Diamond for years and years was traditionally um, drag race, circle track, customs, uh, domestic auto. Uh, about seven, eight years ago, we kind of really dipped our feet into uh, coming up with a, a Sport Compact line. And, you know, it's year over year has grown and grown uh, as the brand gets recognized. And, you know, we picked the, the, the correct partners to work with uh, initially to get the, the name out there and get the product out there. And it's been a great success, you know, and we try to do that with any segment, um, modern muscle, automotive, Sport Compact, diesel, you know, it's all about partnering with the, the correct people up front and, and getting, you know, getting everything in line to be able to get that out there in front of the customer and, and you know, really kind of showcase what, uh, what makes Diamond different from, from the rest. Mm -hmm. Give us an idea of some of the questions you get asked, and, and I'm sure there are some things that might come up, you know, more than once that, 
maybe people aren't seeing something the same way or, or, you know, like me with a lot of things, sometimes, you know, a little bit about something, but not everything. And it's, it's, it's hard for people to acknowledge that, but just some questions that come up often that might be um, maybe misguided questions, if you will, that people really are probably better off knowing. Yeah. So, I mean, we get a lot of that, you know, and the nice thing about um, Diamond's sales and tech team, uh, it's, it's made up of, ex-engine builders, racers, enthusiasts. So they have a lot of knowledge background, you know, kind of help customers guide, you know, guide through some of those off the wall or, or uh, misconceived questions. Um, you get a lot of like compression ratios, uh, piston wall clearance, um, material for applications. Should I gas port? Should I not gas port? Coatings. Um, <clears throat> yeah, coatings is probably a big one that people kind of get, get sideways with what they read on the internet and uh, what they actually, you know, the function of actual coding does for their application. Um, so especially if somebody calls and they got a naturally aspirated engine, you know, pump gas streetcar and somebody, you know, recommended they get a hard anodized coating like we would use on a top fuel. Well, nine out of 10 times, we'll have to explain to them why uh, that added cost and added feature is, is not correct for their application. Yeah, to me, it almost seems like uh, in the world of pistons and all of that, coatings are, you know, about like trying to read an oil thread um, on different right. forms and everything as well. But, you know, with the different types, I mean, you know, like ceramic, the molly skirt, the hard anodized coating, and I'm just literally looking at the order form right now. What do, what are the differences in those and where does one apply and one not? Yeah, so, you know, the, the anodizes uh, coating, we offer two, two different types. Um, we offer a type three uh, hard anodize, which the whole piston gets anodized outside of the, the pin bores. Um, and then we also offer uh, type three anodize with a PTFE coating. Um, the difference between the two is one's a little bit more abrasive than the other. Uh, the PTFE Teflon coating is better for a street application because it gives it a softer seal on the surface. So uh, cold starts and, you know, um, lack of oil or, or extensive uh, heat, it'll, it'll have a nice soft surface to rub against where a true type three anodized uh, will try to grab metal if it loses lubrication. Um, but it, type three works very well in all out race scenario where you would have uh, prevention for micro welding of the ring grooves, uh, heat soaking through the crowns. Um, and then our ceramic uh, crown coating is the same theory. It's a heat retention, but it's a spray down coating. Um, so that only works really well with gas type uh, applications. If you put it in a methanol or a E85, the fuel actually acts like a solvent and it will wash away the coating. Um, so that's when we, we try to detour a customer either away from a coating totally or into an anodized coating, depending on, on the application. How quick does that happen? Like you talk about ethanol, um, you know, which I'm not saying like, obviously people are racing, a lot of people are using race fuels and they know exactly what's in them. Um, but again, people do things and, you know, I'll just grab some pump gas or do whatever. I mean, how quick does that actually get dissolved away? Um, it all depends on the, the you know, the tune-up condition. If it's, if it's over fuel, uh, right away. If it's something that's, you know, fairly lean and it doesn't have a lot of excess fuel that would sit in between fires, uh, it takes some time to, to wear away. You might see some blistering of the coating when you pull it apart after some runtime uh, where it gets underneath and tries to lift it. 
Interesting. Uh, do want to remind you, if you have a question at all, uh, you know, please feel free to put it into the chat because um, we're definitely going to spend some time uh, doing as much educating as we can. But we also want this to be an opportunity, uh, especially if in your off season you're looking to do a rebuild or you want to, or you're a builder yourself, um, you know, want to know something about the product line. Uh, we are definitely here for that. Um, some key points that you want customers to understand just regarding pistons, rings, and pins, and Again, uh, you know, like we mentioned earlier, these are all things that you can find a lot of myth out there on internet forums, what people think is right, wrong, better, worse, whatever it might be. Uh, I mean, you know, whether it's uh, pistons, pins, or rings in question, um, you know, a good piston assembly comes with all three of them working in harmony. Uh, if a great set of pistons is made with uh, rings or pins that's inappropriate, then uh, it's going to function, you know, as mentioned. Um, you know, diamonds the best ammo to combat uh, the challenging question of, you know, you know what's going to perform ideally in my application or every application. It's uh, the application informa information provided by the customer. Um, if we receive little to no information uh, on what the piston will be utilized for, then it could make it a challenge to fit uh, with the proper components. But uh, luckily, you know, we've got a great team, as Mike had mentioned that can help the customer kind of work through that. And uh, trust me, we're gonna alert somebody if uh, we see a red flag pop up. So um, obviously the, the beauty is the partnership uh, with uh, Trend, you know, on the wristing side of things. We have a great partnership with a couple of ring suppliers. Um, you know, it's, uh, we know what works, we know what's appropriate. And if the customer is ever confused or they, uh, they need to know, we will tell. Yeah, being able to go direct and especially being able to buy, you know, again, just looking at the website, being able to get rings and different things like that. Um, how important is that truly to be able to go to more of a single source for some of these, you know, parts and pieces that are all having to work together? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great benefit to the customer, you know, as simple as it's one phone call, you know, one one place to order the stuff. So it saves them time on uh, being pulled away from, you know, engine builds and stuff like that to be able to make phone calls to order parts. And it allows us to, you know, have full control over uh, the, the, the build, right? So if we get the rings in, we can measure them. We know exactly what uh, back cuts, what radiuses the ring grooves need, to, you know, to work with that ring set. Um, we can measure the wrist pins. We know what the pin lock spacing needs to be to set the pin in play correctly, um, what pin fit clearance we need to do for the pin diameter. Um, so it kind of all, like you know, Steve said, it all goes in harmony, you know, to make the, the, the perfect combination all together. Mm, yeah, uh, that is pretty interesting. And one thing I do like what you said too is having people there who are answering the phone, people who are talking to actually have put their hands, have built engines, have done all of these things, because I know, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. You know, you can make the joke about going to the home improvement store and, you know, walking in there and someone knows exactly what they want. And the person asking them if they can help them has no idea um, just how valuable that is to your customer base. Oh, yeah. I mean, 100 percent, you know, our business is based, you know, around business success is based around our customer service. Um, if you don't have the, the right guys on the phone helping the customers work through and troubleshoot and, you know, build out the, the proper specs, you know, the parts. But when the parts get to the customer, they're going to be wrong. And it, the whole process is, uh, you know, spoiled from that. How hard is it to follow the trends? I mean, I know you start to see stuff when it comes to orders and different things like that, but even trying to get ahead of the game just a little bit and maybe even as part of your development and innovation. 
Yeah, I mean, one of the things that has always been good for Diamond, you know, and staying a step ahead or, you know, at least in the front front four of the uh, upcoming trends is being able to, uh, you know, work with the racers direct, being at the racetrack, uh, you know, being in the, in the, in the mud with those guys, uh, learning, Hey, you know, this doesn't work. We're having issues with this. Uh, you think we can change this, you know? So it's always a constant feed, you know, from our customers on, on improvements, changes, um, crazy ideas. You know, there's been stuff where customers call and say, Hey, I want to try this. And we're like, man, that's, that's crazy. You know, we try it and, and some of the stuff works, some of it doesn't, you know, it's, a, it's always, every day is a new day to learn. Um, and I think, if, you know, as we go through that and we keep an open mind, you know, that's, that's our, our biggest tool is being able to uh, step, you know, step in the, the forefront and be able to make changes on the fly and, and design new things. Mm -hmm. uh, a question from, uh, from the chat, a rule of thumb for today's engine seems to be a 10 to one compression ratio is about max with steel heads on street gas. Aluminum heads seem to allow a bump up to 11 to one. Uh, first, what are your thoughts on that? How much power is lost eliminating a domed piston in a 60s SBC? Um, I mean, uh, some of that too, you know, and a lot of people don't uh, don't account for is camshaft uh, with that, you know, depending on your duration, your, your center line, your lift, you know, you could bleed off, have more static compression, but yet bleed it off and still be functional with, uh, with pump gas. Um, dome compared to a flat top uh i mean there's no real measurement of saying you know x amount of horsepower will be lost uh that really is based on chamber shape spark plug location um you know how tall the dome is i mean if you got something that's got a max dome in it yeah that's gonna gonna shut down your your flame front over the top of the dome at tdc but um depending on what you're doing for ignition timing and such like that. Uh, those are all variables that come into play. So, you know, there's not a real simple straight answer towards that. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, some people might be racing under very specific rules when it relates to the engine and, you know, different things like that. Um, how much of that, I would assume, is that like one of the first things you might also need to know up front if you're trying to help someone, if they're like, hey, you know, my series has this compression rule or I have this or whatever. Where does that come into play, especially if I'm someone who literally wants to just push it right to the very edge? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we see a lot of that, we, you know, uh, super stock and factory stock and, and uh, you know, some circle track classes where uh, a lot of limitations to what you can and cannot do to the piston. Um like some series don't allow gas ports. Well, you know, in the past we've worked with Total Seal and now it's become a pretty uh, pretty popular thing is uh, we can offer a gas ported ring. So if the rules say you can't gas port a piston, but it doesn't anything about the ring set, uh, we can add side gas ports into the actual top ring and it does the same uh, same process of like, the piston would be gas ported. Uh, so there's definitely some, uh, some tricks in, in the trade when it comes to uh, pushing the limits on what you can and what you can't do with the rules of certain organizations. All right. Now that has to be kind of fun though, chasing the rule book, finding the gray area, figuring out what they missed and what you can do to at least get around it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely some, uh, some, some fun in that, you know, and then there's sometimes you're just, you're kind of beating your head against the wall for, for no gains. But like I said, you, you have to, uh, you have to go forward to, to find out if it's, it's worth it or not.
That is pretty neat. Um, and, and when you run into things like this, I mean, on the one hand, I would think that especially if you're selling product, you want to tell the world. Guess what we figured out? Um, you know, on the other hand, people buying it probably don't want you to tell anybody because they're the right. ones who want it. So uh, how do you how do you do that dance? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, our business being primarily custom, um, you know, the relationship between the customer and ours for that certain job is just that, you know, we, we tend not to uh, share any information uh, out unless we're asked, you know, if it's pri proprietary to the customer, then, you know, we don't know anything. Right. Uh, but if it's something, you know, Hey, what if we gas for this? Well, yeah, you, you know, you might see a benefit here, you know, so it's asking, you know, we may, uh, may or may not be able to tell you type situation. Yeah, you know what, which is completely fair. Um, and, you know, especially for everyone involved. When, when people start ordering custom pistons and you see that trend, um, you know, are there times where the custom pistons start to become the regular product line, the off the shelf? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, most most of all our shelf stock started off as a custom, you know, some form of another. Um, and then, you know, as we've seen popularity and, and and repeat orders, you know, that starts to uh, starts to turn the wheels on the, the production or the uh, product development side. And then uh, you know, each year we build out, you know, X amount of uh, new products that we can, uh, we can fit into production without tampering lead times. Um, and then that kind of use, use that as a driving force. All right, here's a good question that literally just popped up. When it comes to alloys, is strongest the best? Any comments? Yes. <laughs> so uh, we offer two different alloys, uh, 2618 or 4032. Uh, 2618 is going to be your more uh, race part. Um, 4032 has a higher silicon uh, rating. So that allows you to run it in more of a straight application because you can run it tighter to piston wall clearance, uh, has less expansion, but it also is more brittle. So if you were to kind of just look at it as which one would crack and which one would dent if you hit it with a hammer um 2618 would dent 4032 would shatter um but they both fit you know depending on the application you know we got some drag stuff that's got 4032 just because it's low heat uh low ignition timing um and then there's a lot of street stuff you know most are modern 99.9 percent .9 of our modern muscle stuff out, uh parts out there are all 2618 and uh you know, most of that is, is street-driven, uh, weekend warrior type stuff. Mm, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, a lot of people, like you said, like it, this particular question, you know, is strongest best, or we were talking about coding. Someone heard this is best, but it's not always best for what I want to do. When do we start getting into areas that, hey, you know, I think I want this, and it's like, no, no, you know, you absolutely don't want this. Yeah, I mean, we get that, day, you know, every day, right? And then a lot of times, too, you know, you get customers that, especially on the power adder stuff, uh, we're only, you know, we want to build this, we want to spray with 200. Well, do you, you know, and then we ask, do you think you're going to upgrade, you know, go higher? Well, yeah, if it's not fast enough, we're probably going to spray with 400. So then it's like, okay, well, we're not going to build it for 200. We'll build it for 400 because that's where, you know, that's where you think you're going to be in a year or two. Uh, you know, we try to guide the customer into what their max belief of what they're going to, you know, achieve out of their engine and their combination. Mm -hmm. uh, Judy just reminded me that you guys have a video as well that you want to run. So forgive me for not getting to that sooner. Do you want to yeah, put no that worries. up? Are we pulling up or is Judy? 
Is that something that I think is that something that you share on your screen or do we pull that up for you? Yeah, we don't I don't, I don't have the video here that we sent it to Judy. Okay, yeah, she says they'll run it. So Oh, okay. They'll, she'll get it here in just a quick second. So as soon as uh, they're ready with it, then we'll make sure we get it over to uh, uh, get it up there on on uh, on the deal. Uh, some of the other products too. Uh, and again, I was having a lot of fun, um, you know, over the last couple of days, just perusing through your website and some of the things you offer. The 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 Diamond Pistons Chamber Mold Kit. Yeah, Tell us so, about uh, that. Yeah, so we offer a few different uh, engine building tools. Uh, chamber Mold Kit is one of our, our most popular. Um, Basically, it's a two-part epoxy that uh, the customer allows the customer to pull a mold of their combustion chamber. Um, that way, a lot of times, like if a max effort dome or uh, we need a cylinder head that we don't have on file, we'll have the customer pull our mold. And then once we get it here, we can check it on our CMM and our 3D scanner uh, to build out uh, basically the chamber surface. And then engineering would use that as uh, their design parameters to uh, design the dome around. I mean, this literally seems like a fascinating tool. All right, here comes your video, so we'll get that up. been in business since 1968. Uh, I was first a customer of Diamond early on and then I was employed at Diamond in the customer service portion and that was in the, the mid-80s. Then we had an opportunity to come back and, and buy Diamond in 2000. It, way back in 1968 Diamond was the leader in the pro stock stuff. They did a lot of the uh, early pro stock engines and then they moved on and they did a lot of NASCAR stuff after that. And after we purchased the company, we had an opportunity to work with Greg Anderson on his pro stock deal. So it was kind of like history repeating itself. Yeah, I learned early on when I was employed at, at Diamond, one of the things that I really appreciate about the, uh, the founders of Diamond is they gave everybody the same support. At that time, we were doing a lot of uh, NASCAR work. And if an average uh, Saturday night racer called, he got the same product support and attention at the the Richard Petties and some of the well-known people got. And I really appreciated that. We've tried to instill that uh, today. My name is John Kemp, and I'm engineering manager for Diamond Pistons. I've been here for 18 years. What sets Diamond apart from the competitors is that we create lots and lots of custom features. So no matter what you send us piston-wise, we will figure out a way to machine it. So from research and development standpoint, we can carry on with any research and development and iterative design process that's necessary and we will strive to do that. We're not a company that you just order one thing from and that's all you get. Whether it's a custom feature or support that you're in need of, Diamond Pistons is here to support you. We'll work from start to finish on your custom design and development project and we'll be here every step of the way if you need us.
TV Fast Jackson KTR here at Lights Out 11 at South Georgia Motorsports Park. We got the Shadow 2.0 on maximum kill. The, the components that it takes to keep this engine and this race car alive, running 215 miles an hour and going 354 on a street tire, are pretty substantial. We do a lot of abuse to the engine. Uh, this thing's pretty much detonating from the time I start it to the time I shut it off. If you guys watch the car run, you can see how much smoke's coming out of the trunk down there. We're almost burning it up every pass. I've ran Diamond Pistons and Trend Performance products for the last decade, and there's nothing else I trust to put in my engines to handle the kind of abuse that I put on them. And when you got Billy Stockland putting a main jet in it, you just really never know what can happen. What's up guys, Alex Laughlin here, winner of Lights Out 10, US Nationals, and uh, I run Pro Stock, Pro Mod, and Radio Versus the World, and I run Diamond Pistons in literally every single car. We've made record runs and everything. There's no doubt that Diamond Pistons is the absolute best manufacturer in the industry, and uh, I've seen these guys stuff. They've got a top-notch operation, and there's no doubt that these guys have the best products in the industry, and that's why we run them in everything. All right, that was pretty interesting. Um, what are some things that you learn or what there can you learn after you see a piston come out of a car? Yeah, so I mean, we treat, you know, the piston is like a, a painting canvas, right? Especially after it's run. Um, we can see wear patterns, traits on skirts, uh, where we can make adjustments to skirt profiles, uh, barrel and cam. Um, so the profile as it goes down the skirt and around um, to cure some of that. Uh, ring groove, wearness, uh, micro welding, um, land wear, pin wear, pin wear, pin bore is one of the most critical areas of, of a piston um, to learn from um, anywhere from uh, tooling and out towards the lock side or uh, banana shaping the pin bore as the part tries to crown under, under compression. Um, so we can change clearances and shapes and features there to, uh, to keep that area happy and, and um, the pin from pushing out lubricant when it's under uh, crowning. Um, same thing with crown uh, design and valve pockets. Uh, we can see from carbon buildup and, and uh, crown wear, uh, how the combustion is happening across the part. Do we need to lower the dome or add a fire slot to, to be at that more traditionally across the crown instead of a located area? Um, gas ports, uh, we can see how clean it is on the backside of the groove, uh, you know, compared to the location of the gas port. Is it pushing on the ring completely or is it, does it look like it's bleeding off? Um, it's a quick tail of the tune up. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. uh, if we ever get a piston back from a customer and 
there were some issues or if they're looking to make improvements and we can look at a used piston and pretty much be able to pinpoint what uh, they need to do or what we need to do. So it definitely helps to have that back in our hands. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, and we've gotten parts back from a customer where the skirts are really wore and, uh, you know, we, we call and say, hey, you know, what, what's what's all the, the, the measurements? What's your stroke? What's your rod length? What's your cylinder length? Well, come to find out, um, you know, they changed the stroke or they changed the rod length in the engine at some point. Um, and then that put the fit point or the largest point of the skirt at bottom dead center, it pulls out of, out of the bottom of the sleeve. So at that point, as it tries to change direction, now you, you've increased the piston rock. Um, so then we can make adjustments on the new set and cure those issues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I like what you said, too, about, um, you know, you could look at it and say, hey, is this something that we can fix or is this something where you're having some issues elsewhere? Is that right. typically pretty obvious? I mean, you know, to you guys, to a trained eye? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, you know, especially with with the staff that we had here, you know, um, a few of them, you know, have got over 25 years of engine build uh, experience. So, you know, they've they've seen things that. Uh, some racers haven't, you know, over their time of, of opening engines and, and inspecting them and, you know, making tweaks and changes. Um, and then we can kind of see some commonality uh, issues amongst, you know, power adder parts. So like a nitrous engine, well, it lifted the top ring land. Okay, well, let's look at your fuel. Are you overfueling it? Where are you at for fuel pressure on your nitrous system? Um, or it's collapsing the second ring in the, the third land. Well, it, it's probably too lean. Um, you know, you're just, you're transferring heat that far down on the part and weakening, uh, weakening the lands. So either we can, you know, change the tune-up or we can thicken that area up that, you know, to prevent if you do get to that point of the tune-up again. Um, cause a lot of guys, you know, pushing it towards the edge, uh, you know, getting the best ETs or, or the best lap times, um, sometimes sacrifice parts, right? So how do we, how do we, widen that window for the customer you know to be able to run on that edge and still still have parts that survive the end of a race night you know that's that's the challenge yeah when you talk about power adders at, at what point do you just literally need to start rethinking what you're doing whether it's um you know a coating a type of piston or, or whatever it might be you know because some people may just want to you know stick some turbos on it or add nitrous or do whatever at what point do you just completely need to rethink what you're doing on the inside about every time you change up the power adder, right. you know, the different types of power adder are going to require different parameters on the piston. You know, compression ratio is a huge thing when it comes to uh, nitrous power adder compared to uh, boost from a turbo or boost from a, a supercharger is it a root style blower. Um, you know, every, every segment of that type of power adder has uh, a pretty common, you know, known bit of criteria requirements that need to be put into the engineering behind that part to have them live uh, within that realm. Um, right. You know, some power adder is far more volatile than others. Uh, you know, some of it's much more tune-up oriented uh, or fuel oriented. So, it, you know, really every single time, you know, you're, obviously you're not going to build a, a turbo motor and then say, oh, forget it, I'm just going to go nitrous. You know, at that point, you got to pull everything down. Everything has to be changed from uh, the cylinder heads to the pistons. Uh, who knows? I mean, intakes and all that stuff. So it's more so for a dedicated build, um, you know, if you're going to keep it nitrous or if it's going to build, be built for nitrous, you're probably going to want to, you know, keep it nitrous. Yeah, I mean, there's some commonalities, you know, like piston thickness, um, 
clearance that, you know, across all power adder um, applications kind of fit in the same box, but then you start getting into uh, ring gaps, ring clearance, uh, like Steve said, compression, uh, coatings, um, actual distance between the pin and the crown, um, you know, that varies once you, you, know, you start talking anywhere from a, a blower application to a turbo or a nitrous. Mm -hmm. um, another question from the chat. In the event of a piston failure, do you offer analysis? Can I send you my pistons and say, yes. what do you see? Yes. Yeah, that would be one of the, that would be the first thing that we would, uh, you know, inform you of if you called and said, hey, we, you know, we failed this part. We tell you, let's get them in a box, get them back to us. Let us, uh, let us go through and, and, you know, check them out because our measuring tools here are going to be a lot more um, thorough than, than what you would have, you know, in your garage or your shop. We can put them on a CMM, then we can run, you know, run that failure to try to simulate it in SOLIDWORKS in, you know, FEA. Um, and a lot of times too, you know, talking about FEA, so we get a customer, we, we fail apart, right? And then we can simulate it and, and mimic it in FEA. Well, now that allows us to say, okay, if we change this, we cured this, or if we need to change a, B, and C, uh, and then that'll cure that issue, and then we don't see any other issues, you know, outside of that that design change. Then, uh, you know, we go we go to to the CNC and we start making some more parts. In that case, is it important to you to have all the pistons that came out of that engine yes. and, and know the location yeah. and all of that? Yeah, we tend to you know request all the pistons, all the pins, and all the rings because uh, they all work, you know, in in conjunction with them with each other. And, you know, sometimes depending on the failure, you know, we'll even ask for the, the, the bearings of the engine um, to see if we can see something going on there. It's tune-up related. If those all look good, then, you know, we go back to, to looking at a piston design to see if, uh, see if there's something there we can, we can pinpoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that's it. Again, it's just doing the, the CSI on something right. like that and trying to solve the problem for the next time. Um, you know, or, you know, maybe even, you know, is there ever an approach that, Hey, this is just kind of the wrong idea for what you're trying to do the way you're adding your power, the way you're doing whatever it might be. Right. Exactly. All right. So when it comes to all the different offerings of pistons, you know, the catalog pistons, one thing, the custom pistons are another thing. If I'm just looking for the catalog, you know, I'm not, you know, really looking to do something, you know, completely custom, completely trick and all of that. Just kind of give me an idea. I, I know, uh, you know, if, if you're on the website, it could be domestic, it could be muscle, it could be, you know, compact, you know, full NHRA, whatever it might be. Kind of take us through that a little bit. Yeah. So our website's really, really customer driven and easy to interact. Um, the way we have our product line set up, you basically would search under the type of engine that you would have. Uh, and then once that pulls up, uh, you can filter down by bore size, stroke, rod length, compression ratio. Um, and then that'll basically filter down to pinpoint to the exact part number you need. So it's very user-friendly on that spec. And if it's something that you don't, you don't, can't find on there, um, it's simple as just to reach out to us and then we can, you know, work with you. And like, you know, like we said, if we don't have it on the shelf, we can build it as custom. And if it gets beyond a custom, we also do a, a ton of full billet parts. Um, and that's a whole nother aspect that kind of opens up the whole box for whatever design that we need to make, um, especially on a custom, you know, if a, a customer calls and orders a part and it doesn't quite fit perfect on a forging that we have, well, then we have the ability to just make it out of a solid chunk. And then we can change the structural design of the part to whatever shape we need to make it work, you know, best for that application. And all of that's done right in the same place where you sit? 
Yep. So we do uh, forgings, our own forgings, billet slugs, um, full machining, all the coatings in-house. So everything's kind of controlled under uh, under our, our own umbrella. So, is there anything that is there anything that you see like um, you know maybe one particular type of series is starting to go a direction or maybe some trends are changing here or there? Yeah. So like uh, sprint car, for example, um, a lot of those those engine builders are now on full billet parts, um, and the reason for that is it allows us to do some unique crown shapes and and structural uh, struts to uh, cure some of the cracking issues from you know over endurance on uh, heat cycles of the part that a forging wouldn't you wouldn't be able to quite machine into forging without having stress risers or. Mm -hmm. And how often do you start to see where, hey, a trend is going this way and now we're going to do billet. Now we're going to do this. I mean, a lot of times in racing, you start to see, um, you know, someone has something, someone's going to do better. And all of a sudden the dollars start flying out of the wallet before the sanctioning body or the series right. says, OK, we need to back all of this up and we're going to go spec this. Or we're going to do this that way. You know, give us an idea of what that that give and take becomes. Um, yeah, I mean, we've been really fortunate, uh, you know, the markets that we're in. Uh, we haven't had much of, uh, you know, pushback on, on spec side of, side of the thing. Um, you know, NHRA likes factory stock and, and uh, factory showdown. You know, the, there is parameters there that we have to uh, oblige by. But, uh, you know, most of the, especially the circle track and, and uh, road race and, you know, heads up drag racing, you know, it really doesn't affect us too much. Yeah, the pricing doesn't really get too out of control until you start adding a whole ton of options, right? Um, you know, obviously going from a, a forging to a billet, uh, there's going to be a pretty significant cost, but a lot of the class rules that are regulating the options that the eraser uh, is allowed to use will dictate that price and keep everything relatively small. Mm -hmm. That's good. How much longer does it take to actually build something from a forging uh, as opposed to a billet? So the lead time is uh, about the same. Uh, crazy as it, it sounds, uh, we've done billets for so long that we've refined, refined, refined the process. Um, so the way we, we machine it, uh, the first op basically machines the rough billet part in the whole bottom structure. So that say it cuts out operations that you would have down the line on a forging where you would have internal milling, um, undercut features we can do all that in one off so what we take from the backside you know we add to the front side but it balances out about, about the same time frame oh okay wow that to me i would not have thought that i would almost thought like you, at a certain point you get from a billet to what looks like a forge and then you build it out like there's a yep. big yeah i mean there's there's some added engineering time because there's more steps and processes of, of building out that model um in the programs but uh production wise it's it's about the same that's not bad. Um, how about, uh, you know, for, again, people who are building things right now, <clears throat> you guys are manufacturing your own, uh, you know, what you guys are doing. And so I would think that uh, in a lot of ways that things that other people see in the world, we were just talking about it in the last, uh, in the last chat with Stock Car Steel, having to worry about supply issues and different things like that. Are you affected by that? Yeah. Um, I mean, raw material, like any, anyone else in any other industry is, uh, being uh, becoming quite the pain to get. Um, we've done a really good job of pre-planning, uh, you know, at the beginning of the uh, pandemic to get in material on the floor to uh, try to stay ahead of it. We've added uh, added some uh, 
operations and, and equipment in our, our press uh, department to push out more product, uh, more forgings. Um, so we've, we've done a really good job, of, you know, to this point of keeping our head of, uh, above water. Um, what the beautiful part being a small business, right? We're, we're quick to pivot, you know, we're quick on our feet and we've got plenty of years of knowledge. Uh, and of course, you know, we're the Detroit brand with Trend, Diamond and Dart. We have a lot of resources we can bounce between the businesses, but you know, don't get me wrong. We have our fair share of supply chain crisis uh, that it's everything from um, the chemicals that we use to make the combustion chamber mold kits that you had mentioned earlier, you know, having a shortage on that, trying to resource, uh, you know, the chemicals um, over to uh, some, you know, corrugate or any type of, uh, you know, push rod material or, uh, you know, all that Wrestling stuff. material. Yeah, exactly. All the material, um, you know, and 98% of that is all sourced stateside. Uh, but you've got a labor crisis. You've got, you know, it's, you know, the list goes on. You know, we heard it well from, from Greg. Uh, he, he's hit the nail on the head. You know, everyone's going through it. It's just who can, you know, navigate it faster and, and try and come out on top. So we never stop growing. Just keep on pushing. Yeah. You see any of that changing at all? You see things sort of coming out on the backside of it, or are you still having to really do some chasing? Yeah, we're, we're chasing, you know, it's, it seems like uh, every time you turn around, you're just, you know, throwing some more pennies at it, right? You're throwing pennies in this pot, throwing pennies over here. And, uh, you know, we're doing what we got to do to keep the customer satisfied and also cut leads. You know, we still have to grow, right? So we're at this point, you know, it's whatever it takes to, to keep the business moving onward and upward. So we're just um, one day at a time and uh, just making you know, like I said, quick pivots to enhance machine time or, you know, we're, we're cross-training staff, right, on a reduced headcount. So, uh, you know, yeah, we're... In the, on the material side, you know, we have a lot of forgings that kind of overlay or cross over. So we may be short on one of the smaller sizes uh, forging diameter wise, but it may fit on the next size up, you know, to keep to keep that order moving. Um, so we have, you know, that availability to, uh, to be able to you know, we're not stuck in one small box that this net shape forging only works with this. Um, so yeah. don't, don't let us fool you. We've got a, a whole team that are far more advanced right. with this stuff than, than Mike and I, you know, that, you know, we, we give them all the praise in the world. So um, we're, we're just blessed to be working with a, with a team that's on yeah. top of it. And we're just out here, uh, you know, following their lead. Yeah. But really ultimately on the, on, on, on the good side of things, the customer side of things. I mean, realistically, I mean, if I'm if I'm a customer, a customer, if I'm calling to order, probably not likely to see any type of interruptions at this point. No, I'll have managed no, it. No, and you know, like I said, 99% of the things are, are unscathed, and uh, we're just finding ways every single hour of every day to just uh, keep on growing. Wow, that's pretty fascinating. How is, uh, for your business, is it a constant or is it, uh, hey, off-season's getting really busy, mid-season slows down? How does that work? So, yeah, I mean, right now we're, we're going into our busy season, you know, um, usually right around October, November, uh, it kicks up and then we're, we're wide open till February, March, um, July or January, February being, being the busiest, uh, especially right after the trade shows. Um, everyone tries to, you know, get, get their orders in and 
you know, and especially the way the world is now, um, seasonality has kind of been a yeah, it's been low. It's been almost non-existent. I mean, we've had so much panic buying uh, over the last few months. I mean, the only control that we have to compare it to is 2019. Uh, and we are lighting up 2019 month after month after month. Yeah, I mean, so we've been really, really lucky. It's been record after record, you know, month in, in incoming orders uh, for us for since 2019, yeah. you know, so. Wow, that's great, though. I mean, and it's not a bad problem. And I don't know how many engine builders are doing the same thing. Like you said, panic buying. You know, if I'm a builder, I want to keep building engines. So I better call you guys, you know, like I said, everyone's stocking up. Because yeah, I mean, you, you know, they, they, they call and they go to order a camshaft and it's X amount more weeks than they, they think it, you know, it should be. So then they, they start going down the list and they're like, well, I need to get pistons on order. I need to get this. I need to get that. You know, so a lot of times it, it makes it a little bit easier for us uh, having that large workflow because then we can plan and, and you know, really see farther out on what we need to, uh, you know, get done and get out the door. Um and then it also helps the customer, uh, you know, get, get at least get that portion of their build. Uh, on get order. these engine builders organized. Yeah. <laughs> At a necessity. Well, guys, yeah. is there anything that we didn't touch on that um, you feel has value to make sure the customer base knows about? No, we're good. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, we're, we're here, like I said, uh, you know, our, our sales and, and tech team are, uh, you know, it, the guys, same guys that you are in the, you know, in the engine rooms and the race shops, uh, building these things. So if you ever got a question, a concern, um, demand, give us a shout, you know, we're always here, uh, to be able to, to help out. Well, no question. The reputation speaks for itself. And, and even in talking to you guys, um, the knowledge, it just, it comes out. So I'm sure your customers are pretty happy and are, will continue to come back. So that's the, that's the whole idea. Awesome. Thank, thank you very much. The concept for e-part trade is basically, in my opinion, there's a big hole in the internet. So the internet started many years ago, but there's never been an online business community for racers on the World Wide Web. The need for e-part trade is actually quite obvious. Basically, people in the business of auto racing need a place online to hang out and get their problems solved. It's extremely simple for a buyer or for a supplier to interact on the platform. The first thing you need to do is sign in, which is free. And the second thing is when you see a product that you're interested in, all you need to do is click on request more information if it's a company, you click on request more information and then from there it is forwarded directly to the buyer or to the supplier. You can go to epartrade.com, you become part of a community of businesses in racing and it makes uh, sourcing products much easier than just on the internet or using Google. At epartrade there is no e-commerce. It's literally a connection just like at a trade show. So now, any time of the year, a buyer could reach out to a supplier through an email. More than that, it's a place to go just to keep current every day. So it's a good place to start your work day in your racing business or in your offices of your professional race team. And you know you're current when it comes to new technology, industry news, technical papers, technical videos, all of that and more. We're not looking for a million hits per day. 
All we want is people who are really the volume buyers of racing products in the racing industry to be part of the little world of EPAR trade. We have racing businesses participating from around the world. So you get suppliers from around the world, you get buyers from around the world. EPAR trade really eliminates having to travel, closing down your shop. Now you have a place to showcase globally your racing product and technology. There are two types of people, racers and everyone else. Racer Magazine is for those who believe that racing is a way of life. Racer embodies the excellence that defines a sport driven by passion, courage, and ingenuity. Get one year of both Racer's print and digital edition for only $39 with instant access to our entire digital issue archive. Subscribe now at info.racer.com.